Our speaker today is a very dear friend of mine, Cheryl Miller. Many years ago, at least 20, when I first met Cheryl at St. Luke Church in Smyrna, her face was always covered, and I learned about the suffering she was going through from the trigeminal neuralgia. She tried many physical means to relieve her pain without relief, but she would never allow that to stop her from attending mass or adoration as often as possible, usually all the time. I remember bringing her communion after one of her surgeries. It was around Christmas time, and uh, it was several years ago. And I kind of felt like I was in the holy presence of a suffering soul. She was nestled in this gigantic stuffed chair, surrounded by blankets, covered completely. And um, it made quite an impression on me. Um, I was at the healing service where her miracle happened, but left while she was still online. Big mistake I did. Getting her text that night saying she had been healed was unbelievable. But I saw her the next morning, and it was a glimpse of heaven, the smile on her face, the freedom she had. So on this Gaudete Sunday, I'm happy to provide living proof that God, even today, is working miracles as we welcome Cheryl Miller to share some of her incredible journey of faith with us. Come on. Thank you, Marge. You already made me cry. <laughs> I just want to start off. I thank you so much for inviting me to tell my story. It's pretty incredible. It still makes me cry. So I probably will, but just bear with me. So I want to start off, since this is the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I give everything to Holy Mother, all my talks. So let's say Hail Mary, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Jesus, I trust in you. I always say that. So how many of you thought that 2020 was such a hardship? Go ahead, raise your hands. <laughs> to me, 2020 was one of the best years of my life, aside from my wedding and my children's birth, and my grandchildren's birth. I had such joy in my heart when other people had fear. You see, I had been ill with a very debilitating illness for seven years. Before any of you started wearing a mask, I was already covering my face with this dirt bite dust cover for over four years, and this is how I did it. In my prayers, I've often asked the Lord, why did you heal me in the midst of a pandemic? And after a while, I got my answer. I want my people to know that I love them and to turn to me for healing through the Mass and Eucharist. We don't have to travel to pilgrim sites like the Holy Land, although it is a great opportunity if you're able, but the real miracle is in the Mass. The plain bread and water become the body and blood of our Savior. We actually receive him. He is truly present, but yet so many don't understand this. I didn't for a long time either. Let's go back to the beginning. I was born in 1960, yes, I'm 61, and raised in a little city in upstate New York to Catholic parents. I lived right across the street from the Catholic church and school that I attended. 
When I had something that I wanted, I would sometimes go to the church and sit with God. I loved the many saint statues that we had and the peace that I felt when I was in church. I knew to pray because I had very holy grandmothers who were always praying. Yet my prayers consisted of, could you give me this? Could you give me that? I would have a whole list ready to ask for, along with exactly the way I wanted God to answer them. I treated God as if he was one of those coin-slotted machines that you put a quarter in, and they read your future. Fast forward to 1981, when I met my husband, John. John's faith was barely Catholic. His mother was Lutheran and never went to church. His dad raised all eight children in the Catholic church. They all made their sacraments, and slowly, after they married, they all fell away, except for John. John kept going to Mass even when he wasn't forced to by his dad. He was an altar boy. The first time he served, he wanted to stay for all the Masses and serve. Talking about it now, we both believe that it was being so close to the altar and serving that kept John going to church. When we married in 1983, we had a beautiful Catholic wedding on October 1st. We picked the day because 11 was our lucky number, and 10 plus 1 was 11, not having a clue that we were married on the feast day of St. Therese of Lisieux. Later in my life, the Lord used her to teach me merciful love and childlike trust, her little way. Our faith was mimicked by what we saw in our families. We brought up our children in the ways of the world and very little in faith. It was in 1992, and just before the birth of our third daughter, Rachel, we built a house very close to my parents, and all of our relatives were about half an hour away. When we moved in, instead of being excited, I was unsettled. You see, I was still searching, searching for something more. That God-shaped hole in me was not filled. As soon as we moved in, I heard in my heart, you need to move out of state. Now, I wasn't going to say anything to John at that moment after he worked so hard to finish the house. No way. It definitely wasn't the proper time. But if you notice, God always challenges us. Moving out of state was something John and I had spoken of many times but never pursued it. I just put this idea out of my mind. But as years progressed and the birth of our fourth daughter came and went, these words continued to persist like a banging gong getting louder and louder in my head until I finally approached John with the idea. John and I and our four daughters, Melissa, Laura, Rachel, and Emily, moved to Smyrna, Tennessee in 1998. We registered at St. Luke's Parish in Smyrna. Suddenly, I saw people my age that really lived out their faith. I was in awe. God didn't waste any time in having me meet my spiritual sister, Mary Frances, in my book. She wanted me to use her first name, but I will call her Fran throughout this talk. God knew that I needed help. Throughout the years to follow, I grew in my faith. Instead of going to Mass to look at who was there and what they were wearing, I really started to listen to the words that I was even proclaiming, like the creed. Did I really believe in all these things I was just saying from memory? Suddenly, the Mass became alive to me. Every word I heard was as if I heard it for the first time. Instead of receiving the Eucharist without a thought, walking up the aisle, looking at everyone, I actually started to ponder and pray. Am I really receiving the true body and blood of our Lord? When I was young, we had a communion rails and all received on the tongue. When I turned 18, all of a sudden the communion rails were not used, and we had to receive Jesus in the hand. I just went along with it at the time, being more caught up in the world. But as I started to pray and grow in my faith, 
I started to recall my childhood and how careful we were to receive Jesus, having to place my hands under the communion rail to give the patent room to be placed under my chin in order to catch every crumb which contains the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. I decided to go back to receiving Jesus on the tongue. Now I know that the church accepts both postures, but I have watched people receive Jesus and not many actually look at their hands to see if there are particles of Jesus still there. When I thought about all those years that I received Jesus and never looked at my hands, I just cry wondering how many times I dropped him on the floor for him to be trampled on or vacuumed up by the cleaning crew, or how many times did he stick to my clothes and I washed him in the washer. My heart just ached with the thought. The Eucharist became the source and summit of my life, the nourishment from heaven that transformed my soul. Not only did Mass attract me, I wanted to be a part of everything that the Church had to offer. Lent was always my favorite time of year. I remember the Stations of the Cross vaguely when I was a child, but when we went for the first time as a family, it was there that I encountered the Lord in the monstrance. I had no clue what a monstrance even was. After Stations, we would have benediction and 10 minutes of silent adoration. Now, I was on a, an on-the-go type of person, always doing something, never stopping, planning my whole day out. While I got involved in the church at first, I was more of a Martha and had no clue how to be Mary. The first time the priest said, we will have 10 minutes of silent adoration, I looked wide-eyed at my husband. I didn't know what to do or how to pray. I kept looking at my watch since that 10 minutes seemed like hours. The second time I managed to mutter a few petitions and I looked at my watch a, a few times. Gradually, the Lord grew my faith to the point where I was spending hours in front of him, but that wasn't until I got sick. Fast forward to the year 2012. I was having headaches and teeth pain. I went to my dentist and told him that my tooth was throbbing to please pull it out. My dentist was very reluctant, and since he said I might have a crack in it, he would pull it. It seemed to help the pain, so I thought that was the problem. A few months later, though, another tooth started to throb, and I returned to the dentist again. This cycle continued into 2013. I even switched dentists in my determination to remove all the teeth in my mouth. It never occurred to me that something else was causing all the pain. It was in October of 2013. My husband, John, and I celebrated our 30th anniversary on Venice Beach in Florida, hunting for shark teeth. Despite John's vigorous searches, I ended up with the biggest tooth. In that time, the breeze from the ocean was very strong, and as it hit my face and head, I started to have a strong headache. I didn't think anything of it until it happened again the next day. The pain in my head seemed to be constant. All of a sudden, another tooth started to throb, so I went to my dentist again when we returned home. This time, he said he needed to do some research. He called me on the way home for my visit with him and said, Cheryl, I think you have a trigeminal neuralgia. I said, what is that? I looked it up when I got home. While I read the symptoms, I knew that I had all of them except the shocks yet. Trigeminal, I'm gonna cry. Trigeminal neuralgia is called a suicide disease. At that time, the pain was not constant, but within a month, 
I started to feel the worst pain that I have ever felt in my whole life. The shocks came upon me like I put my finger in a light socket magnified a million times. I didn't know that my head could even move like that. I can't even mimic one right now, thank the Lord. The trigeminal nerve runs along your face to give sensation. So when, for instance, you rub your nose because you have an itch, or you have food on your lip, or you have a toothache, you feel it. This nerve controls the feeling on your whole face. There's a trigeminal nerve on either side of your face. So here's a picture of it I'm going to pass around. When the nerve is damaged, the slightest touch to your face sends out improper signals, signals, and instead of acting normal, the nerve works over time. So just like an electric cord that is stripped of its coating sends out shocks and sparks, a damaged trigeminal nerve does the same. The shocks would come out of nowhere. The pain was so excruciating. I was asked to write a narrative of what my life was like when I was first diagnosed, and this is what I wrote. I was diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia when I was 52 years old. I was a very active woman, always gardening, working outside, walking and exercising and watching my grandchildren. I was active in my church and had a very responsible call center supervisor job from which I just recently resigned. The following is a description of my life. I can no longer walk outside unless I'm totally covered up with some kind of protection because the sun and the wind and just the slightest breeze causes unspeakable face pain. I have a handicap sticker so that I can park close to the door. Even if I'm covered up and go outside more than five minutes, this is what happens to me. My face feels like someone just poured hot coals on it. My nose feels like someone punched me. My lips feel burned. My left ear feels like it is infected. I have trouble hearing because it feels like it's always full of water. My eyes hurt so bad as if someone is trying to poke them out with a stick. They are under so much pressure that they feel like they are going to pop out of my head. I cannot even touch the top of my head or hair without major pain. All this is from just going outside. In addition to this, my face burns all the time. The pain in my head never goes away. When I brush my teeth, my gums and teeth feel like I just had 10 teeth pulled. The medicine only takes the edge off. I do not have a good quality of life. I spend my whole day just making sure to avoid the things that cause me pain. I have to stay inside in a controlled environment. I cannot be near the air conditioning vent or have a fan blowing on me. I have this controlled in my house, but of course I do not have the luxury of doing this outside of my home. Can you imagine going shopping and having to watch where all the fans and air conditioning vents are? That's me. I can no longer have the freedom I used to. I can't do anything outside. I can't even walk down to the mailbox to get the mail. I'm unable to watch my grandchildren play baseball. I'm unable to use air conditioning on a hot, scorching day driving in my car. I can't even roll down the windows. The medicine I'm on makes me very tired. I can only accomplish making dinner and possibly doing some laundry. That's on a good day. Most of the time, I'm just barely getting off the couch. I cannot do the things I used to do. I've had to give up all my extracurricular activities in church and elsewhere. The medicine and lack of exercise have affected my weight. I'm depressed for what I've lost. It's almost a morning. There's no cure, only pain management. 
And from what I hear from support groups, the medicine only worked for a short time, and then either I'll have to increase the dosage or try another drug. The other option is brain surgery, which has a low success rate, which I might have to consider given the level of pain I'm in and no cure in sight. I did end up having brain surgery in 2014, which left me with permanent double vision and numbness on my face, which were both supposed to be temporary. I cannot ride in a car more than an hour because the bouncing from the car causes so much pain. This is a very lonely life. I have to fight to even do the small things. I used to take for granted taking a shower, brushing my teeth, brushing my hair, putting makeup on. All of these activities hurt so much. There's no cure. There's no end in sight. This is my life forever. The triliptal medication that I'm on has reached the toxic level, and no other medication seems to help. This is a chronic illness. I hate to hear. I hope you get better soon. I will never get better soon. I just have to manage my pain. From my description, it's obvious just how extreme the pain level and despair was. I had no hope. You don't realize the things you can't do because of pain. On a bad day, I couldn't even take the top off my water bottle. I couldn't vacuum, cut vegetables, or pick up my grandchildren. The pressure on my head was just so great. Not only did I have trigeminal neuralgia, but I also was diagnosed with the second worst pain named occipital neuralgia, which I talk more about in my book. I would never be able to go into detail about all the ailments I had throughout this time, even in my book. I didn't cover every detail. It would be in a book in itself. But here is the stack of medical procedures that I endured in my quest to rid myself of these unwelcome guests. Seven years of debilitating pain. Even though I tried everything there was to try, I was told, sorry, there's nothing else we can do for you. It was a roller coaster of emotions. Suddenly I would have hope and then it would be taken from me. In this time, I turned to God in despair at first, and he transformed my despair into hope. Since I was not able to do anything physically, I offered him all of my pain. This was a gradual experience as God took his little girl and showed her how much he loved her. I began to meditate on Jesus' passion I kept thinking about how he just turned his face and allowed the soldiers to beat him. I know as humans, our first reaction is to block a blow to the head with our arms or hands or cover up, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus looked upon them with so much love that instead of letting up in their torture of him, they hit him even harder. Why did you endure so much pain, Jesus? He did this for love of us. We would never be able to understand the love that God has for us if we just open up our hearts. He does the rest. One time I was so sick in bed for two weeks straight, I tried so hard to get out of bed and I couldn't do it. I was praying rosary upon rosary. One night the pain was just so bad that I texted my friend Fran and asked her to pray for me. That night I woke up to a strong scent of roses in my room. I looked around for anything that might resemble that smell, but there was nothing that could have given off that scent. I told Fran the next morning, and she said that she asked Mary to show me that she is with me. 
Mary was with me the whole time. Mama didn't stop there. She gave me other miracles that I wrote about in my book. The love of a mother knows no boundaries, especially if that mother is the queen of heaven. The Sunday after these two weeks, I went to church myself as my husband was working mandatory overtime, and I finally was able to pour myself out of bed. I was praying to God, asking him to have pity on his little girl. When it was time to receive the Eucharist, I heard in my heart, come to me. When I received Jesus, he filled me, my heart with so much love that I thought it was going to explode. That's all I could do was cry. Suddenly, I knew my God loved me. Love to me had to be earned, not freely given. I always felt like I was not good enough to be loved. The world makes you feel that way. You're not worth anything just by existing. You must prove your worth. God, on the other hand, looks at us like we are at, like he look, like we look at a newborn child with tender love and mercy. A newborn child is totally dependent upon its mother and father. The child doesn't produce anything except dirty diapers. But yet, we love the mere existence of him or her. Truly understanding this changed my life. I was caught up with perfectionism and scrupulosity due to wounds from my childhood, which I wrote about in my book. God healed those wounds. Slowly, God transformed me from despair to hope. I spent many hours in adoration, and every time I left, God had put upon my heart different ideas. One time, I started to ask for forgiveness from all of my family members for anything that I did to offend them. Forgiveness is the key to open up the padlock on the heavy chains wrapped around your heart. Think about Jacob Marley in the movie The Christmas Carol when he appeared to Scrooge with the big heavy chains that he was dragging around and those big padlocks that held them together tightly so that he could hardly move. This is our hearts when we don't forgive. I had the most unforgiveness for myself. When you think that you have to do everything perfect, and you make mistakes, as you are bound to, because we are imperfect, but because I had a disordered view, I couldn't forgive myself for all of my mistakes. I held myself in bondage in those thick chains for many years. When I finally forgave myself and others that I didn't even realize I hadn't forgiven, which the Holy Spirit revealed to me, I was free. I went to confession, and I went and when I left the confessional, I felt this immense peace and flood, love flood my soul. I didn't understand at the time that this was the Holy Spirit. I had so much joy that I just couldn't contain myself. The new year was just starting. It was the year 2020. Lent was just beginning, and I was writing my list of Lenten offerings to God. And one of them was to read the new book by Father Michael Gately, 33 Days to Greater Glory. I had read of all of Father Gately's books numerous times because he writes very simply that even I can understand. This book was about consecrating yourself to God the Father through Jesus. It was March 6th, which happened to be a first Friday. The sacred heart of Jesus is very dear to me as I write in more detail about in my book. I attended Mass in Adoration at St. Ignatius. I was reading Father Gately's book in Adoration and suddenly... I got to the page about the paralyzed man who couldn't get into the pool for 38 years. I always felt sorry for him, picturing him being pushed aside by someone. 
Father Gately had another take on it, though. He said it was hard to believe that he never, in 38 years, had the chance to get into the pool. He said, could he be happy in his self-pity or comfortable with all his friends? Suddenly, I looked at Jesus saying, Jesus, I hope that I've not been comfortable with my illness. I know that I haven't asked in a while, but if you want to, you can heal me. But whatever your will is and not mine. I have been prayed over many times, and I know that God was healing me interiorly because I would feel heat in my heart, but the pain continued. Now that night, we were going to a parish mission to Saint, at St. Saint Philip's with Father James Mendackel. After his talk, he was going to pray over people. There was a long line in front of him, and I kept my eyes on the crucifix on the altar. We had our grandson Riley with us. I asked the Lord instead to give my healing to Riley because he has type 1 diabetes, and he's only 15 years old, 16 tomorrow, <laughs> and has his whole life ahead of him. But then I said, wait a minute. You are a big God. You can heal Riley and heal me, too, if you want to. I told God numerous times that I would accept whatever he wanted. At the last minute, I decided to go to Richie, Father James' friend and doctor. My husband wanted Father James to touch me because he has the stigmata. But I just told him that God is the healer and he could use anyone that he wants. When my turn came, Richie asked my name and what I wanted him to pray for, and I told him. Richie asked if he could be okay to t lightly touch my face over the face covering, so he did something like this. His prayer was simple. He said, in the name of Jesus, Cheryl doesn't need this trigeminal pain anymore. Please burn it away and send it to your cross. In an instant, I felt the overpowering force of the Holy Spirit come upon me. I staggered from the force and everywhere that Richie had his fingers on my face burned. But it was not the burning sensation that I always felt with pain. It was a, like a purifying burning sensation. Instantly, in the moment, the pain was gone. I dropped to my knees on the floor in praise and thanksgiving. My husband was in the line behind Riley and he got out. He thought I died or something. <laughs> I immediately took off my cover. I told him that I was healed, but he wasn't able to grasp it. Now that night, being in March, it was very cold and windy, and I walked out the door with no cover on and just allowed the cold wind to touch my face. I had tears of joy like I do now, and Thanksgiving running down my face. I hardly could sleep, just praising God all night long. The next morning, I felt my face. No, it wasn't a dream. I texted Fran asking her if I should take my medicine. For seven years, like I said, I had been on the highest toxicity level of anticonvulsant medicine, the triliptal. She said to ask Jesus, so I prayed and decided. <laughs> so I prayed and decided, hey, if he's going to heal me, I'm going to trust him completely. So I stopped taking my medication. Now, there are major warning signs to never go cold turkey with anticonvulsant. I have two children that have epilepsy, so I know this. Because you can have seizures even if you've never had one before. The days went on, and I never had one withdrawal. It has been almost two years since I was healed, and my life has changed drastically. I'm so involved with my children and grandchildren. I watched them play baseball and softball. I jump rope with them. I ran around the house trying to catch them. We have 20 chickens, and I'm always outside with our little ladies. 
I feel like I have superpowers because everything seems so light to pick up. I can pick up groceries, I can wash my floors and vacuum the carpets. I bet you won't find anyone as happy as me after vacuuming the carpet. Most importantly, I can pick up my grandchildren, hug and tickle them. My youngest ones won't even remember me sick. My son-in-law, Levi, never knew me healthy. He tells everyone about my healing. I still cry when I get in the shower and let the water run down my face. I used a blow dryer for the first time in many years. I went swimming this summer. My grandchildren didn't even know I knew how to swim. Before I was sick, I loved to swim. We had a pool and I was always in it. I'm like a child trying new things that I never thought I would ever be able to do again. I just went on a pilgrimage to Magigori. What a beautiful experience. And the whole time my heart was praising and thanking God that I was able to get on a plane without pain, driving a bumpy bus without pain for three hours, something I would never be able to do prior to my healing. God has transformed my whole family as well. My son-in-law became Catholic after 15 years of my very subtle hints. My daughter returned to the church. That's a big one. And her daughter made her first communion last year. My husband's faith has grown. He says it's hard not to because he lives with a living miracle. I am a living miracle. There's nothing special about me. I'm a sinner just like you. I don't understand God's ways, but I thank him with every breath I take. God loves us so much. Oftentimes we put him in a box and forget that he is the creator, that I am, who was, is, and always will be. Our feeble minds can't comprehend the depth of his love. Like a child, reach up your little arms to him. Surrender. He will do the rest. Excerpts of the Magnificent come to mind to explain the joy I have in my heart. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Thank you.